0: Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 33. My guest today is Lawrence Chow. Lawrence is an award-winning actor, writer, and producer who's hosted shows like Ghostly Encounters, an internationally acclaimed television broadcast. It was a lot of fun to find out about his journey from Toronto, Canada to Hollywood. Here we go. Hey, Lawrence. Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? (laughs) Greetings from Los Angeles. Ah, greetings from Singapore and Vietnam. Nice to have you on the show, man. It's been a long time.
1: The last time I connected with uh, folk from Singapore was the red carpet of Crazy Rich Asians here in Hollywood. I did the red carpet. I was the host. And I ran into uh, pure Pong. Uh, uh, coaching Munn, um, you know, a lot of
0: the old familiar faces. So that was really cool. It's actually a, a super fun movie. I was, I'm a kind of a movie snob. I'm not easily impressed. I'm kind of bored of the whole <laughs> Hollywood thing. But that movie was particularly good and obviously very unusual because Asians are obviously underrepresented in Hollywood in a big way and always have been other than, you know, the obvious faces. You're born and raised in Toronto, Canada. That's correct. You're coming out of uh, the place where Norm MacDonald, an incredible stand-up comedian who recently passed, he hails from Mm -hmm. Canada. Uh, There's kind of a short list of Hollywood, like the Mike Myers and a few people that have really taken off and come out of Canada. And uh, What was that like growing up as a Chinese person in a predominantly (laughs) white country? What was that like? It was cold.
1: Uh, And I mean that in a.
0: (laughs) Cold, (laughs) like cold towards you or just cold in temperature? I mean, literally and figuratively. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Well,
1: now I was a bit of an anomaly uh, as a kid. I, unlike my peers, I did not excel in maths and sciences. I, I struggled to get my A's and, you know, the those subjects. And I was uh, very excelled in the liberal arts. I was good at art, music, uh, history, English, especially English. And I knew very young that kind of the writing was on the wall. I wrote a book called Crazy Witch, and I illustrated it. Next thing I know, it's in the school library. And I was like seven years old. And I think the stones were cast very early because all the teachers said, he's going to go in some profession in the arts which traumatized my parents
0: <laughs> oh i'm sure
1: uh so um from high school i ran for a uh, student council and was the pr guy i did the yearbook and that led in paved my way into journalism school and I disappointed mom, didn't become a lawyer, doctor, engineer, blah, blah, blah. And I always thought journalism would be like a, a fork that could open up various avenues. Just the, the talent of, of having the written word on your side and, and communication. And I put it to good use. Um, when I graduated, uh, I did really well in school. I had a scholar uh, scholarship and everything. I couldn't find a job. I, it was like This Asian kid who went to this predominantly white journalism school, knocking on doors at newspaper companies, TV stations, was like, who are you? Like, it's so hard being an Asian in the media industry. And deep down, I always wanted to do entertainment as well. And I remember being transfixed to TV watching shows like Entertainment Tonight. And um, I thought, one day, (laughs) I'd love to be host of entertainment sh- news show uh, and more I want to do film I want to act and uh, so from Chinatown to journalism school I made the decision to trek off to Hong Kong without my parents uh, support uh, I, I worked really hard late shift graveyard shift at a hospital and worked in an office I, I saved what money I could and it was only two thousand dollars and I literally went to Hong Kong with $2,000 and two suitcases full of clothes and started knocking on doors and I had to get a job within a month because I would run out of money and there was no trust fund coming from the folks. Uh, So yeah, I started knocking on doors and my first job was at a horrible advertising production company. (laughs) It was just dreadful, (laughs) Uh, poorly managed, horrible you know interpersonal uh relations um so that wasn't working out so good and i'm like damn and i and i had i had to get a place to rent anyway i uh, i started sending out the resumes i was on the phone in my cubicle <laughs> calling up pr companies because that was my first thing on my checklist with my journalism degree it wasn't to pursue journalism per se, although I used journalism on a freelance basis. I wrote for entertainment newspapers and magazines for extra income, Uh, but my first goal was to get a full-time job and that was in public relations and i did i I found the pr directory and i noticed one company had a canadian boss so you know you always look for a way in (laughs) rang her up she said send me your resume i sent it in and she says um i'd like to meet you and we met and she offered me a job Pretty much on the spot. Like, we'll try you out for three months if you get along with the team. Because she had a wonderful, wonderful PR agency with her partner, uh, Dez, Marlene and Dez. And the corporate culture was like family it was just amazing and i've never had that luxury of working in a company where we worked hard and we laughed our asses off like (laughs) we still are connected like i just met with one of them for lunch and she has a son now who she named after me it was crazy so the PR agency was called PRISM and was later bought out by uh, Olympic champion from UK, uh, Alan Pasco, and it became Octagon PRISM. But during PRISM's glory year, years, when I was there, we did amazing events. Our forte was um, sports event management and promotion and we also did corporate events but huge sporting events like rugby sevens um fifa soccer tournaments um basketball tennis tournaments around the region um motor racing events with british american tobacco and and i was very shy i I held two hats i was copywriter and account executive and i was pretty much doing all the writing in, in the company for a while Like, really, two jobs for the price of one. (laughs) And I've always been a multi-hyphenate kind of guy. And even then, when I was making money just to make ends meet, I was writing for newspapers and entertainment magazines on the side because my passion was always entertainment. I even wrote songs for some Canadian English lyrics for some Cantonese singers because I have a background in music. I was doing commercials. I dabbled in theater. And I was being courted, uh, ironically, by uh, the TV stations and record companies to be an actor or or to sing and stuff like that. But I'm not fluent in Cantonese. Anyway, so my stick with the PR agency was, I was kind of torn because I really wanted to do entertainment. Uh, But my corporate... Um, career was taking off. And I thought, maybe the entertainment thing is not within my reach because, you know, rent lifestyle is so expensive in Hong Kong. And, you know, I came there with kind of like transfixed with the screen idols at the time. There's Leslie Chung and Andy Lau and Chowin Fa, Anita Mui, you know, all these, Jackie Chan, all these great, I said, maybe there's a chance for me somewhere. (laughs) It's weird as I just started to kind of let go of my entertainment passions and became more successful in the corporate side. And and I give props to my uh, bosses because they really encouraged me to step forward into the client servicing versus, as they say, hiding behind the creative screen of, of as copywriter. Uh, she's as they said, the money's where the clients are. So I did, and then. My career really started to blossom. I was very good with clients and uh, managing events, as well as writing and promotions, but coming up with a lot of creative ideas and events that suited company's branding. And my thing was, I really wanted to do, how can I merge entertainment with my PR? And they gave me free reign to kind of open up a division uh, of entertainment because they were mostly known for sports corporate and government events as well and i did my first big event was with uh we did Les Mis, Les Miserables, Cirque du Soleil, Alegria, we brought that in with Swire Properties in Hong Kong and then Heineken came up with a concept for an East meets West classic meets pop concert and that was kind of like my major proving what i got as the peer manager for that and we Generated tons of publicity and and, um, was a wonderful event. We had Paul Young, um, Vanessa May, violinist, uh, with Jackie Chung, top Hong Kong canto pop star. Uh, We hired All For One from America, backed by the Queensland Philharmonic Orchestra. It's a big deal. And then More entertainment events happened, like um, we staged with the Hong Kong Tourist Association, uh, Hong Kong's first ever Chinese New Year parade. That was under my auspice, Uh, and, and we did really well. And then, you know, it's crazy. As things start going in one direction, and suddenly the thing you let go comes back.
0: You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance.
1: I don't know if it's fate or whatever a colleague said, Oh, my friend's auditioning for a play. Can you just go? They're looking for expat Chinese guys. And I went, I got the lead. I was um, getting cast in a lot of commercials on billboards and on the subway station, magazines, window shops. I got offered uh, a part-time gig as a TV host for City Life Hong Kong, which is a prime time entertainment lifestyle show. I was doing, so I was doing a lot. I was working seven days a week, pretty much. And uh, trades were beginning to write about me, uh, you know. uh, And and I I was kind of okay, I was happy. Uh, And then Singapore came knocking. And it was really much by fluke, because I went off to Singapore on a whim to visit a, a good friend who moved there. And um, I also went to visit another friend who worked at the TV station there. And I, she said, "Oh, let's meet up for lunch when you come to town." I said, "Okay," and I was waiting for her. And her boss, Sunny Lim, comes up to me and goes, "What do you do?" I said, "Oh, I'm a PR." Plus, I uh, host a TV show, blah, blah, blah. And he was in current affairs. And he says, I think there's be a couple of vice presidents here who would like to meet you. Cool. And um, I met with the acting VP and I met with the Variety VP. And the Variety VP, Lung Mei Lin, uh, took an instant liking to me. And um, I put me on tape and auditioned. And she said, we'll be in touch. I'm like, heard that before. and again it's it's really weird fate you know sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad and this time it was good mm-hmm. um i went back to hong kong and it was 90, 1997 all the major PR companies were doing some sort of handover rent because the british you know were give, giving hong kong back to china i met up with LimSek and we're recasting for showbuzz but The new vice president of markham has already decided on this british chat but um you seem to be like you know your entertainment stuff i go i i do i live and breathe it (laughs) like i harbor dreams of being on entertainment tonight for all my life and limsec had tea with her and said lawrence is the guy who should be on showbuzz like he knows entertainment anyway so they hired this uh other chap, uh, Ray, and um, people probably have forgotten, but um, by fluke, um, I was a roving reporter on the side for Showbuzz, and I was going to take over the entertain- uh, the afternoon video music video show as a VJ. Um, but when the new Showbuzz launched, um, there was a bit of hysteria. Like the fans really liked my reporting and uh, they kept me on as a this who's this roving reporter guy there's no publicity or promotion about it. Where, where did he come from and then it was front page news and phones were ringing off the hook at the station and i'm very grateful and then overnight it changed and um by faith um ray had to leave singapore a relative had passed away in hong kong and i i got the call and i had sat in as the anchor for a a few episodes and they had an internal meeting said we're gonna we've decided what you're gonna be the new anchor of showbiz and and i did it and it was a great run for a couple years and then we got a weekend spinoff. We were nominated for an Asian television award. I got, was nominated for Best Entertainment Host. Uh, but then things went south, <laughs> Change in management, and it, and it kind of got ugly for a while. Uh, and I was too burnt out because, honestly, when you're hosting and producing, I produced my stories and helped produce the show and, and writing and traveling, you know, what? every week i'm in new york i'm in l.a i'm I'm working like 90 100 120 hours a week sometimes on one hour sleep acting on the weekends on channel eight with don't worry be happy hosting live specials i was like a zombie like seriously a zombie but the adrenaline and youth you just do it (laughs) and I, it was my dream come true. And I, I remember, I was like, this is probably my one shot to do it. If I stayed in the PR agency in Hong Kong, I could have led a very successful, cushiony corporate life, because that's where it was going, the tra- trajectory of uh, account director there, right? And I said, the money's not as as much as the PR, but it's a chance of a lifetime. And I went for it. And next thing you know, it was a dream come true. I traveled the world. I interviewed all the big stars, you know, like George Clooney, Tom Hanks, um, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Mariah Carey. It was crazy. Denzel Washington, Allie Berry. Uh... MC Tom Cruise's press conference for Vanilla Sky. It was it was bananas for a kid from Camp Toronto, Chinatown. <laughs> it was so crazy. And I loved it. And people, you know, and then when I left the show, there was a lot of controversy as to why I left. Was it the money? Uh, but it wasn't the money. Um, uh, there was burnout. But there was a lot of politics going on. And I'm, you know, time... It's been 20 years now I can talk freely about it. But at the time, I didn't want to talk about it. And I kind of took the high road. And I think that was to my detriment. But as I look back now in life, I go, you know, we all have these incredible journeys and just peaks and valleys all the time. Uh, And I always sit back. I go, what's your learning lesson from this chapter in your life? What was your learning lesson as a child? What was your learning lesson in journalism school? What was your learning lesson in Hong Kong? What was your learning lesson now? So, uh, you know, I, I still have some, and, and that's how I kind of modulated through m- my life is that I set goals, I have checklists of dreams, and I go about achieving them, especially in entertainment. Our job is to make it look easy, but <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> like, it's really hard. You take a lot of Crap behind the scenes. There's a lot of office politics and backstabbing, and egos and com- competitiveness, um, long hours, public scrutiny. It, it's, it, it's, I think it's hard in any industry, but probably doubly so in, in entertainment because you have to weather a lot of the stress publicly, but you have to keep a happy face. Um, Do you think it's so- easier
0: as an actor though, because? You know you go in and you you do your job and if you're not you know being followed by paparazzi and not super high profile that you could stay more under the radar and just you know do your job go in you know long days long hours of course but maybe someone like you would not attract as much scrutiny and as an actor as a pure actor that maybe you could have a little quieter more of a personal. Uh, uh life with some anonymity
1: um it depends what kind of actor you are there's a type of hollywood actor who is very commercial they hire the publicist you know they go out they cut kind of, often they want the paparazzi there you know even though they put up the sure the facade that they don't but then when you play that game you can never win with the press or the paparazzi they'll always have the you know, the hand over you. So it can get dangerous. But then there are those reclusive type of actors who, yes, like you said, can disappear. And they're not, you know, people sexy as magazine. They don't care about that stuff. They just want to focus on the craft. So it really depends what kind of actor you are. Uh, I think my point is about when you're in entertainment, especially as whether you're a TV host or, or an actor, you lead a very solitary life. Even though you're in the company of so many people, crew, and fellow celebrities, and you know, it's a very solitary life. You know, you host a major event like Miss Singapore Universe or the National Day event, and you go home, and you're it's, it's alone. You you bomb, you gotta suck it up alone. <laughs> you success, you you whatever. You come home, and after all the. Fans and fan mail screens. It's you know you're by yourself. I mean, I choose to be myself. I like my own. <laughs> I, I like my monk lifestyle.
0: <laughs> right. I'm sure but the I solitude is very healthy for you. I mean, for th- me it's you can. healing. Yeah,
1: yeah. For me it's healing. I, I like it.
0: You're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. What I want to do is I want to go backwards a little bit. I want to go back to you being a kid. Growing up in Canada, were your parents traditional Chinese? I mean, because you're a little off kilter, as one would say, in the non-traditional ways of going towards a creative life versus, you know, listening to your parents about becoming a doctor. What was it like as like a really young guy, uh, a kid growing up in that household, feeling that you were not gravitating not gravitating in a direction that may have been expected upon you. How did that affect you personally? How did you manage that?
1: I led a very solitary childhood. I had a lot of friends, but none of my friends harbored the same dreams. And if they did, none of them really went for it. But I think any child who grows up not without the support of their parents and siblings or the understanding, You either will wilt and crumble, maybe get lost, maybe live an unhappy life doing something, a job you hate, or you're the 180 and you become self-reliant. I don't know if you can teach someone drive or imbue grit into someone. It's a very hard thing, you know? My brother's born from, you know, same apples from the same tree, but we're so different. I knew from a very young age that I had to be the driver in my own seat. There wasn't gonna be parental support, you know, endorsements from the siblings. Even my friends uh, weren't my support system. So uh, I kind of, as Oprah says, you gotta get into the driver's seat. If you don't drive, your life will drive
0: you. (laughs) That's correct. No, that's correct. But do you think having that lack of support and encouragement maybe fueled some of your grit because for me it did t-
1: for for others it crushed them i was like a quiet rebel and i was the peacemaker and got my good grades and you know i did all the textbook but i was dying inside because i remember Were you the middle I, child i was the youngest
0: ah uh, uh, okay
1: you know, it was so much pressure, you know, be the responsible one and be the high achiever. And I was the only one to graduate with a, a degree. And all, And they had all these expectations on you. But it's everyone else's expectation. It's not your aspiration. So um, I, I remember at 20, I kind of had like an early, I don't know, midlife crisis or come to Jesus. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And I was so depressed. I was doing really well in journalism. Uh, I, won, I won a scholarship and I said, I don't know. I want to be a hard news journalist. I love it. I love politics, I, you know, I have great reverence for journalists, but I don't think I can do that. And I called my teacher and we had a one-on-one. He goes, what do you want to do? What do you really want to do? I said, I really want to do entertainment. I mean, I not only, entertainment journalism but later on you know acting um frontline stuff hosting and, and filmmaking and going to film school was like oh my god journal school is bad enough <laughs> don't even think about going to, to film school so um my teacher was like a mentor to me says lawrence there's no shame in doing entertainment journalism you know we're in this elite Journalism school and all the, everyone's vying to be, you know, do what's in your heart. You have the skills as a writer, an interviewer, but channel it to the area of passion that lights your fire. And that was like my epiphany at a very young age. I knew very young that I had to not follow the pack of others and be non-conformist. I really did, I really had to defy the stereotype and it took a lot of guts. <laughs> so as kids, we had to grow up working very young. I got my first job when I was 13. You know, I worked in restaurants, I sold Christmas trees, <laughs> so, you know, I threw out trash. But so th- that sense of, um, Hard work was ingrained at a very young age, and I got that from my parents. They worked very, very hard. I don't know. It's like a culmination of your own passion, dream, plus what you're good at. And you know, I was good with the written and spoken word and uh, what you really liked. I loved entertainment. I was like swept away when I saw, you know, movies. And I, when I listened to a song, I just didn't listen to a song. I listened to it. I was like, Oh my God, do you hear that instrument and that instrument? And oh, he's singing legato here and staccato there. Oh, the lyrics. Do you know what these lyrics mean? That is how my DNA is. When I you know, most people will watch a show and I'd be like breaking it down and understanding the subtext and plot line. They're like, who's this? Is- I was this freak, you know? (laughs) Remembering uh, script lines at a very young age, movie lines, TV lines, even today I can recite things from like (laughs) Gilligan's Island and Three's Company and whatever, whatever. Yeah, so I I knew very young and I knew that uh, at the time Canada was not a fertile place for me to pursue my dreams because I'm Asian and um, Hong Kong was the first natural stop because when I saw those screen idols, I said, wow, Asian, there can be Asian stars. Little did I know, well, you had to be fluent in Chinese, Cantonese or Mandarin, which I wasn't, right? (laughs) I mean, I mean, uh, I was courted by uh, TV stations and record companies, but the language just wasn't there. Um, So I settled for hosting the English show uh, in Hong Kong and went about doing my PR work. And I didn't know anything about Singapore. And Unbeknownst to me, Singapore was the Asian market that had an English entertainment avenue, English TV shows. A lot of people ask me, like, are you bitter? You know, you could have been even a bigger star. And and there was a lot of things that interrupted my career path. There was a lot of um, politicking behind the scene. People obstructed me, sabotaged me. And and I, I don't really hold on to, like, bitterness aspect of it. Um, it is what it is, you know. Uh, in hindsight, when I found out a lot of this stuff, um, like I said, what's your takeaway? My takeaway is, be careful who you trust, always fight for your reputation, which I never did. I was too burnt out. I let people say smack about me, you know, crazy stuff. Like it was ridiculous. I've never really talked openly about it, but it's been, I don't know, 20 years now, I'm gonna talk about it. And I'm over here and you're over there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you know? let it out, man. Do the no, therapy I, I, right I, here.
1: From a strictly analytical thing, you know, I had one superior who was like thought I wanted his job and was sabotaging me behind the scenes with the powers that be, you know, dragging my reputation through the muds Um, and then the new head of uh, the who called the shots with programming came from an advertising background, didn't really know TV, didn't even understand the importance of what we had achieved with Showbiz, which was make it an international uh, entertainment news program that could hold its own journalistically, but also we scooped up all the advertising revenue from the print media before the movie studios and record room, would always go to it, eight days or straight times. When we came along because we we're doing the publicity, the advertising money came in and our advertising revenue shot off the charts and our ratings were great. But the new head came in from her advertising background was, was so upset that we were giving them quote free publicity. And she didn't realize that no, it was, it was working hand in hand by giving them publicity you know, doing the junkets and giving them airtime to promote their movies and records, they're buying more ads. So when they decided to kill showbuzz and, you know, cut out junkets and things like that, the advertising sh- disappeared. And then the junkets went to back to the, the print media. And it was like, we worked so hard. You know, we had a at the, at the beginning, we had a wonderful team and we're on fire and we... Achieve so many milestones we got the weekend spinoff Shoba's weekend and and it was hard to see it go but i was so burnt out i was okay with it but the final straw that was really upsetting was um one of the co-hosts <laughs> uh and it wasn't andrea uh wanted to create like, like a media scandal uh, and go to the press which and she called the crisis meeting and we me, we told her don't do that like don't burn your bridge but she had the gall to go back to the station and said i came up with the idea <laughs> just what i just told you not to do it and kind of like bow out gracefully don't burn and meanwhile yeah and i was like shocked i was absolutely shocked and that was kind of what was going behind the scenes and all this like it was pretty much rubbish and i just like You know, let it water off the butt. But that was another learning lesson
0: because I was young. How old were you at the time?
1: Oh, it was like late, late 20s.
0: Okay. Yeah, you were Uh, young.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it was like letting, you know, that was the biggest learning lesson. I uh, like, don't let people ruin your reputation. You know, there are lawsuits that people
0: file now. You know, uh, and, and, well, and, uh, look at the Johnny Depp trial and Amber Heard trial. I mean, this exactly. is, a, it's the biggest thing on the planet right now. I'm even sucked into that thing and it's <laughs> not my cup of tea, but I have to tell you, I have learned more about myself and my relationships and my issues and things through not just watching the trial, but through those that are examining the trial uh, it's been actually a fantastic experience for me
1: it's disappointing when the people you trust can turn on you and a dime for their own avarice you know true that's what that was a big learning lesson there is no loyalty especially in show business here I was like devoting my life and things and I was not involved with any of that nonsense and they were the ones who were churning the pop you know stirring the cauldron. And that, you know, they managed to get people to believe them. That was disappointing for me. So I bowed out for a while, I took a break. And then the crazy thing about that, after they tried to revamp Showbuzz is like, it ended up going back to the way we had it. And, it. and it tanked because they didn't have the right people in place, whether it was the anchors or whether it was the, you know, um, the producers. And it's a dinosaur of a show to, to, to put out because um, it's 52 weeks of the year. Non stop. Like if you got an editing shift at 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever, you're working at midnight, but you have to be back, go home, view your tapes till 3 a.m., get your script ready, come back and edit at 6 on three hours sleep, you know, edit for four hours, go off and do an interview, come back, watch your tapes, go record this show. It was like crazy. It was absolutely insane. Like, I don't think <laughs> that's another thing I learned about myself. It's like, I'm an anomaly. I think I could have had a nervous breakdown. I should have had many nervous breakdowns before.
0: Do you think because you came from a hardworking, conservative Asian family, that maybe that helped set you up to have the backbone to do that stuff?
1: Uh, I think it was more that, oh my God, I have a chance to live my dream. And eventually I came back. Um, and, uh, I, I hosted Hollywood square Singapore or celebrity squares is what they called it. I hosted some live specials and did some work and I was fine to exit Singapore by then. So, you know, and I did also did a business entertainment show, capital E.
0: You're listening to the pure now show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by balance. What kind of talent? To display because you went to Singapore, you went to Hong Kong, where obviously you would have a much better chance than being in Canada. Uh, how did those two experiences get you to L.A. where you could start taking all this experience and all these lessons that you had and start doing what you really wanted to do?
1: Well, there's good and bad. I mean, uh, after having uh Amassed a master portfolio that i did in asia i landed uh, the gig in toronto ghostly encounters a paranormal show that i hosted for four seasons and that got picked up all over the world and it still airs on cable and various uh networks so that was a, a little gift but like you said it's not enough i met mean, you know i was experienced a lot of uh discrimination coming to north america uh, especially la is like Oh, you want to be an entertainment host? There are no Asian male entertainment hosts. Biracial maybe, or fashion. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, you know, sports and news. People, and uh, if you're if you're a woman, you know, better. Asian women more palatable in in the Midwest. I had my share of, uh, you know, rejection, and that's uh, part of this course. But to answer your question, the needle is is um, shifting and to a better place, more diverse, more inclusive, baby steps still. Unfortunately, the Asians who do get the big breaks are generally come from a famous background. So people who are kind of, you know, didn't get the big breaks are still struggling. I have a lot of friends who've been at it for years here. But I think if I had done it maybe, if I was 10 years younger, <laughs> I'd have a different mindset about it. I'd be more gung-ho about it. And cause this like you said, the door is opening wider now. And I wish I was ten or twenty years younger because my joints hurt now.
0: <laughs> How old are you now? Oh, don't ask. Never ask an actor. <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
1: and never You're, never ask
0: a man. You never, mean never ask, ask, an an <laughs> you ever ask an actor.
1: You never ask an actor. Especially right. because it you get pigeonholed and you might not get the I understand.
0: I understand. Well you're so, over thirty, uh, let's just say that. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I've been over thirty for a long time.
0: A, f- a couple of years, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, but but just to clarify, I I mean, I love Singapore. I have great memories. I loved Hong Kong. And people always ask me, Oh, we're gonna go to Asia. Where should we go? I always say their first stop should be Singapore. Anyway, so I went back to Toronto, landed Ghostly Encounters, and weathered more storms on this on the personal front. But, you know, Dad got cancer, I had to help him get through that, and then Mom eventually succumbed to cancer. After Mom passed, I, I felt it was time to, you know, pack up and go. I, I went off to L.A. with my dog, started from scratch, didn't know many people, didn't know anyone in the industry. And, um, it was hard again, cold call and knocking on doors, and it was like years of just bad representation. Because when you're a new face, even though you have all this foreign experience, they don't value foreign experience unless you're a mega star like Jackie Chan, then or mm-hmm. Michelle Yeoh, then they'll value it. <laughs> but if you're like me, not like a major international star, it's like, oh, just join the pile of headshots there, and we'll get to you, kind of thing.
0: So were you going to auditions? Were you getting auditions? I
1: was was going to auditions and small bits here and there, commercials here and there, kind of not getting traction. So I decided to take matters into my own hand and write and do my own film, which is Justice for Vincent. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, Um, yeah. But uh, it's a rare Asian-American social justice story about um, a Chinese-American citizen Vincent Chin who was uh, bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat in 1982 by two disgruntled Caucasian auto workers uh, in Detroit at a time when they thought the Japanese auto invasion was compromising uh, the American auto industry i.e. putting them out of work giving them a run for their money with uh, more efficient Japanese cars and they mistook Vincent Chinese for being Japanese and beat him to death with a baseball days before his wedding Uh, and the travesty of the judicial system was that the judge um, in Michigan uh, let the killers off with a $3,000 fine and a three-year probation and that sparked um, outrage in the Asian community it was one of the rare moments in history that they were called to action and became very uh, vocal and sparked a civil rights movement in the country, city to city, city to city. We see that parallel happening now with um, the Asian hate crimes uh, induced by the pandemic. I I was like, when I did Justice for Vincent, I'm like, this could be my swan song and I'll be content because I've done so much in life. (laughs) You know, I've done hosting, acting, writing, filmmaking, TV show producing. It's like hmm, kind of done it all <laughs> i'm okay i may not be a mega rich or mega famous but you know i'm kind of content you know
0: so but that grit got you that grit got you what you oh wanted. yeah
1: harnessing an independent film is by no means easy it's Brutal. And we and I set the bar very high. I, I strive for excellence. Um, you know, I got named talent involved. I hired a professional direct, award-winning director. On the sets and were not cheap. It was a high quality production. It's an adaptation, mind you, but the quality of work um, stands for itself. Just to sidetrack, it's like when you for people who want to do nanny paint independent film. And I know you've had other um, guests on your show that have done it. It's brutal. (laughs) I mean, it's not just money. It's, um, juggling everything as the producer, yeah. you know, your casting your promotions, you're organizing the crew. You're taking care of- It's everything. Eagles, it's gear and lighting. Studio, sure. Lighting, everything. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. It never ends. Like it never ends. Submitting
0: the film festivals, going to the film festivals. Promoting distribution, the whole nine Yeah,
1: I'm like, it's yeah. been what, three, four years? I'm still doing stuff. I'm like, are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. So learning yeah. lesson. Um as you get older, you don't have to bite off more you can than you can chew. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, but sometimes you don't know that till you need till you know that.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I I that. I mean you can warn
0: people, but you know, people gotta you gotta learn your own lessons, man. It's
1: it's hard for me because I'm a multi hyphenate, right? Like I've always not I've never been just the writer. I'm the writer and the producer. I'm the T V host who can also act or who can produce. In PR, I was event manager, but the copywriter as well, you know, so it was always like, kind of had like juggling a lot of balls at the same time. It's another learning lesson. You're lucky if you find people on a team that share your passion and vision and have the same aspiration of, you know, setting the bar high. That's golden. It, as the cliche, it just takes one bad apple and the no whole thing could crumble. So in that sense, um, yeah, I'm pretty particular. But I'm not, like, hard to work with. I'm very personable, nice. I make a lot of jokes. <laughs> I'm very supportive. I give, you know, I, I sit with my team if we have to remeasure things I'll be measuring it with you on the floor on my hands and knees you know things like that
0: I want to close I want to close with this question Lawrence yes if you if you could not do any of the things that you're doing now and had to do something completely different oh and and kind of restart jumpstart your life in another way whether it was a vocation or non vocational what would you really want to be doing with yourself
1: oh I first I thought you're gonna ask me if i What am I going to do next as I get older? I would have said writing probably, but your question, I would say two things, maybe psychologist or real estate.
0: (laughs) I love your psychologist answer because that is a complete departure and all your culmination of experience actually leads you with your survivability of all those elements that you had to face and managed to navigate through makes you an excellent therapist because you can advise people and listen to them and you've taken mental notes on your life which is mm. really fantastic. I'm kind so, of on
1: everyone's 911 speed dial.
0: Yeah, you seem like the advice. guy that somebody would <laughs> want to talk to when they run up against a little bit of business for sure. And I like
1: let me cut through that bullshit and tell you what tell it like it right. is.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: But no I'm quite
0: analytical. Uh, first, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the Pure Now show. It was super fun to talk to you. You are definitely a departure from the typical <laughs> kind of guests that we have. But uh, everybody's on a journey of creativity in some way. And uh, we're all creative beings that have either chosen to express that or had the opportunity to express that in some way or not. And uh, uh, really appreciate your your candid storytelling for us here today.
1: No, oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bye.
0: <laughs> Hello LA and goodbye LA. Thanks Mark. Thanks a lot, man. If you enjoyed the Pure Now Show, You can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.